Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. In this episode, I welcome Josh Burnett to the show. Josh is a business owner and the co-author of two Adulting 101 books. We hear that term being thrown around a lot lately, adulting. It's defined as the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. As Josh describes it, adulting does include the tactical aspects and the hard skills, but it's also very much about cultivating healthy adulthood and living your best life. During our conversation, Josh shares the benefits of having a job at a young age, as well as some do's and don'ts for teen job seekers. He has a lot of experience working with young people, as he's the owner and operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Virginia. You won't want to miss the four core principles for success that Josh instills in his team. No matter what your actual age, this episode has something for everyone who wants to become better at adulting. Now let's get started. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hey, thank you for this opportunity. It's my pleasure. This is a conversation that I think a lot of parents want to hear about because adulting, it's a verb, which I'm not sure when that happened, um, <laughs> but it's a big big topic of discussion among parents, especially as our kids become teenagers and adults. But before we get to all the good stuff, um, why don't you just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. So again, thank you for this opportunity. My name is Josh Burnett. I'm originally from Virginia. I am married to my wonderful wife, Katie, and we actually have three little ones, um, Lila, Brody, and Griffin. And I am a Chick-fil-A owner operator here in the state of Virginia. Chick-fil-A. Yum. Now I'm hungry. Um, but what I when I learned of you, uh, learned about your books, and then found out that you were a Chick-fil-A owner and operator, that made perfect sense to me. Because I can't speak for all Chick-fil-A's, but the one in our town, they're very, um, very into helping young people grow, both as employees and as individuals. And they're super supportive of them and their education and all that. And it makes sense that in an environment like that, adulting is a skill that's that's needed. So let's go back to that for a second. So how help me understand, how do I connect Chick-fil-A to writing books for young people? Sure. So that was, that was really the genesis of this. Um, I've been an owner-operator for almost 10 years now, and I have employed, I mean, at this point, hundreds of students over that time. And we have had just some wonderful people come along, and they care so much and want to do so well. But I, I noticed with some of those folks, this skill set for how to be a healthy adult was sometimes lacking. And without somebody at home to teach about finances or without the school they were going to, to teach about finances, oftentimes that was falling to me as the employer to help them grow up and to help them adult. And I, I really cherish that piece of the job. It's a ton of fun for me. Um, I have, we, we talk through how to buy a car, how to move out into your own apartment, all kinds of different things. And what I was finding is the frequency of these conversations was really increasing. And 
I thought there had to be a better way to disseminate this information and kind of decided, hey, I'm going to reach out to a mentor of mine that was very influential in my adulting journey back in college. And he was the one that, that taught me a great deal of this information. He also works with students and said, hey, I'd love to put together a lot of the work that you did with some of the learnings that I've had with working with students and just provide it for the folks that we work with. And that was really the, the genesis of this was, hey, I really care a ton about the young people that I have a chance to work with, and I'm in a unique position to care for them. And that was what really was the why behind writing the first book. And had you ever thought about write, writing a book before? Like in your life, were you like, someday I'm going to publish a book? Oh, no, no, no. I, I did not fancy myself an author. I really envisioned this thing being like a Word document that I would print out and hand out and be like, please read this. Um, <laughs> that's what Pete did to me. It was like eight pages and it was just like bullet points of his life wisdom. But um, we, we really kind of researched the audience and felt like there was a really worthwhile need in the marketplace for this kind of product. And so that's why we decided to pursue that. And it got bigger and bigger over time. It sure did. It grew from one book to, to two books. Um, and I love that they're kind of two parts. So Adulting 101 Book 1 and Adulting 101 Book 2. And I love your hashtags, hashtag wisdom for life and hashtag live your best life. So there's some nuances between the first book and the second book. Let's start with the first book. So fundamentally, what's it about? And, you know, it sounds like a great gift for high school kids, graduates, college kids. So what would parents be getting if they bought this book? So book one is very much driven towards hard skills, tactical components of being an adult, things that adults have to do. Whether this is interviewing for a job or doing well in the workplace, we don't talk about that nearly enough. It is finances, it's investing, it's how to the tactical components of buying a car or time management. So it's a lot of these things that I have had conversations with students about over those years. And we were like, hey, this here we go. Here's just basically a big info dump and the hard skills that you need to help propel you more successfully into adulthood. So book one went out and some of the feedback that we heard is, hey, this is great information and we really appreciate it. But I think there's an opportunity to better understand what healthy adulthood looks like for the inner person. And this really, the book one really just focused on the hard skills. So Pete and I really did a lot of research and investigating and said, all right, it's, it's clear that some of the folks that we work with don't have a healthy picture of adulthood at home, again, or at school or wherever they might be at. And so what does that look like? And it's really hard to hit a mark that you don't know what that mark is. And so mm -hmm. we took a step back and said, hey, this is healthy adulthood for who you could become. And that's part one in the book. And the second half of the book is, hey, even with a clear picture of adulthood, there's still terrible things that could happen that will try to sidetrack you from that, that picture. And we talk a lot about different mental health issues. So we talk through anxiety and depression and loneliness and a lot of the things that we're seeing more and more prevalently in the workspace um, that people are bringing into work with them. And so we think that we almost wrote the books out of order. Mm. We, we have the soft skills and like the, the baseline of what healthy adulthood looks like in book two, and then the hard skills and 
how to's in book one. And so in retrospect, we think we could have probably switched those. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So note to listeners, read book two first, then book one. I I Um, think so, but both both standalone (laughs) great. And what we have found to be the most impactful and most effective utilization is it's easy to want to buy somebody a book and hand it to them and say, read this, and then they won't read it. Mm. Um, This makes a great tool for a mentor, a parent, a grandparent, somebody that is in that sphere of influence to have some really worthwhile conversations. So clearly, by no means can we cover all of adulthood in the course of 200 pages. But what it does is it acts as this jumping off point. And it creates these conversations of, okay, so what does that look like in your life? And how could this be your future? And so um, we have found it to be just a tremendous resource for whether it's small group leaders or business owners or just parents that want to engage with their kid. And maybe they need a little bit of guidance on where do I start? Um, This is a great way to do that. Yeah. I, I love the way you guys break it out. It's, it's easy to consume. It's relatable. I I can't tell you the number of times I'll see, posts or things online, a hundred adulting skills your kid needs by the time they leave the house. I'm like a hundred. That makes my, (laughs) that makes my head hurt. I'm sure it's going to make their head hurt, but I love that it's, you guys kind of make it very, like I said, consumable, understandable, and you can kind of break it out part by part. And I'm sure you're seeing it too in your place of business, you know, COVID as if it isn't hard enough to become an adult. COVID Mm. threw a huge wrench in that. And I'm seeing it in the work I do and in the people I speak to, just how teenagers have been thrown for such a loop. And I'm seeing a lot of them now trying to get jobs. In fact, my son is at that age. He just got a job and his friends are, and they're really struggling. And I think, I, I wish employers would give more teenagers a chance. I know Chick-fil-A is really good about that, but a lot of businesses, I think, you know, I don't know if they're afraid of the risk or whatever. They think the kids are not going to be responsible, but it's a tough time to be a teenager. What do you, what do you have to say about that with regard to hiring teenagers and and how that's working out for you? Sure, it COVID was such a strange time um, from an employment standpoint, but as time progressed, what we saw, at least in the markets that I've been in is students became so lonely at home and so isolated behind a computer screen that since they couldn't go to school and interact with folks and they they weren't able to play sports or do extracurriculars, some of them were finding jobs just so they could engage with people their own age. Um, and so I think the workplace provides a unique opportunity for structure, but also for some great friendships and relationships. And frankly, that that's what kept me with Chick-fil-A as a student. So this was a first job for me. And I fell in love with it and made some of some lifelong friends as a result. And ultimately, that's a big piece of why I decided to continue to pursue this as a career, um, just because it's it can really be a wonderful place to work, especially for young folks. I would agree. And I say this all the time. I, I think every teenager should have at least one job before they graduate high school. And I don't care what it is, Mm -hmm. but just the responsibility of going to a job, interacting with people, working hard. And and I also think you should have that job should include interacting with the public, um, serving people, you know, being in that role, because having done it myself, I mean, I waited tables for years and Mm -hmm. it just brings so much more experience and 
stuff you can't get just in a conversation or on a college campus, right? Absolutely. So it forces you to be uncomfortable. You're going to interact with a ton of folks. um, And so many of those are going to be different than who you are. They're going to respond to things differently. And that could be on the team. That could be your boss. um, And that could be the person that you're serving in our case across the counter. And Chick-fil-A provides, I mean, literally thousands of opportunities every day at the restaurant to have some of those interactions and to learn and to grow. I think sports teams are so crucial. I think having a job at an early age, just to your point, teaches responsibility. It teaches structure. It it teaches you that the world is much bigger than just what's in your head. Yeah, that's for sure. So I'm guessing you get a lot of applicants come through. Um, Can you tell me some of the do's and don'ts for young people who might come into your restaurant to get a job or, or really go into any business to get a job? Sure. I, th- I think that places that employ young folks, we realize that nobody's going to have an extensive resume. So that that's really not par for the course or the expectation. It's really how are you coming across during that time and during that setting? And we're, we are looking for constantly folks that are proactive and very personable. So how do you come across in that interview setting is going to speak to how you're going to come across, whether it's serving a guest or serving your fellow team member. And at Chick-fil-A, we talk a lot about kind of these core four principles that really um, you can take and use anywhere in life. But we talk a lot about sharing a smile with the guest. We don't have these very long interactions. And so how do we showcase hospitality in a brief time? And uh, a smile instantly breaks down barriers and walls. And so if we can have folks interview that way that can that know how to smile and that they're going to then translate that to the guest experience as well. Um, we look, does this applicant make eye contact? And as funny as that may sound, um, that is not a common skill. And it really speaks to a lot of self-confidence and how they come across to other folks. Are, do they have the ability to speak with enthusiasm or enthusiastic tones, not saying that everybody is a cheerleader, but are we getting that candidate across the table that is just completely flat and monotone? Because again, that is the experience they're going to then pass off to our guest. And the last one is, are they able to carry a conversation and stay connected? Uh, Again, whether it's with the guest, with the team member, is this somebody that you want to be around? And all of that has nothing to do with job prior job history or anything else. If you can come into an interview and come across confident and excited and proactive, it, that sets you up for incredible success throughout the course of that job interview, especially for an entry-level job. Those are fantastic skills. And to your point, they're not learning them in other settings. I mean, some of it, right? But Nobody at school encourages them to smile and <laughs> and they probably don't do a lot of smiling. Um, and same, sports. I mean, you you develop so many good values and skills uh, um, ca- and character traits on the field and off the field and in school and out of school. But this is just a different environment, which again, like, it is what it is, right? It's adulting. It's being out in the adult world sure. with adults who are working, who are your customers mm-hmm. and learning how to interact in that way. And Look, my my teenagers are guilty too. They walk around with their noses in their phones and I'm like, look people in the eye, you know, have that conversation. Sure. Smile. It's just, um, it seems basic, but they could certainly, certainly work on that. 
I think the emotional side of work, um, at least for us, is so much more critical than the intellectual or the task-based side of things. So if I, if I think to issues that exist in the workplace, most of them come back to some sort of intelligence around emotions. So uh, what, what happens? So all throughout our leader training process here at our restaurant, um, we've really moved away from some of the tasks that drive the business and moved much more towards learning around the emotional intelligence side and leading and caring for people around you. Because over the last 10 years, I have numerous examples of somebody that really knew the right thing, but the way that they shared it was disastrous and caused a lot of issues and heartache unnecessarily. And so if I'm able to capture wonderful young leaders that have incredible opportunity and potential, it's like, hey, if we can work on this emotional intelligence side and the way that you come across to folks, I mean, the the sky is the limit for your opportunities in life. So how do you spot that in somebody in an interview? How do you spot, I mean, the the things that you said about eye contact and smiling and all that, but how do you know who's going to end up being successful in the role and who's not? So in the course of a brief interview, it's still going to be hard to assess that until we see the person actually working the job. Um, There are some folks that come across where it's clearly, hey, this isn't the right fit for you. Um, That doesn't make you a bad person. It's just, hey, this isn't a good organizational fit for us. And so actually in, in book one, we talk a lot about, hey, not just how do you go about getting a job? There's a lot of time and energy spent on interviewing skills and how to build a resume. And I think there's a lot of even high school classes now around that. But what does it look like to be an actual professional in the workplace and to showcase yourself well? And so really during that time, we're more able to assess, all right, is this person going to make a great team member? Do they have the opportunity to grow into leadership opportunities? And we look for folks that engage and lead and care for folks other people around them well, more so than how fast are they or can they do the job well? Because you believe you can teach them the job, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Boy, that's a great way to look at it. And I I don't know if this has anything to do with that, but I I say this all the time, like Chick-fil-A should run the world. Like you're (laughs) the (laughs) Chick-fil-A, people are probably going to laugh at me for that, but whatever. Every time I go through the drive-thru, you guys are and different Chick-fil-A, but I'm pretty sure it's consistent. A well-oiled machine. Like literally, I'm always blown away by how many people are online, how fast everybody moves through, and my order's always right. Like I'm I'm blown away by that. In fact, wasn't there an article in the newspaper during COVID that some town was doing COVID shots and the line was such a mess, they brought the local Chick-fil-A owner over to like get the line in order. I, I saw mean, that. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> but um, I did see that same article. Yeah, because they knew. They're like, if anybody can get us out of this mess, Chick-fil-A guy can. But um, anyway, I digress. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. So let's talk more about the book. So what other, what do you think the other 
I'm sure they're all important, but is there anything in each book that stands out to you as kind of the most important adulting skill? Sure. And I think that maybe a lot of your listeners are like, okay, what is he talking about when he says healthy adulthood? Because that is a very ambiguous statement. So Mm -hmm. um, that could look very different for different folks. The way that Pete and I decided to kind of capture that data was this foundation of knowing yourself well and who you really are and then leading yourself and then knowing others and then leading others. And so these kind of four steps all stack on top of one another. We have all been in experiences in life where we have had a boss or somebody that was in charge of what we were doing that had no clue how they were coming across to other folks and they didn't know themselves or lead themselves well, but for some reason they were in charge of other people and it did not play out well. And so we talk through healthy adulthood in this way in terms of, hey, how self-aware are you? Kind of leading to that know yourself. Um, okay. So with that, what do healthy habits look like? Well, how does this manifest in your life? Here are some examples. Here's some ideas behind that. Knowing others all about emotional intelligence and then leading others. We talk through more authentic leadership. And so we have, we, we write these books for that 18 to 25 year old that isn't actually probably going to be in charge of anybody. And so it's easy to gloss over the leadership side, but we, we keep coming back to you have to lead something before you can lead someone. And mm-hmm. if you can be faithful in the leadership of that thing that you're responsible for, that will propel and grow your opportunities over the long haul. And so that's really how we frame up this dialogue, this discussion around healthy adulthood and how to be how to really maximize that time because for both Pete and I, it broke our heart to see adulting used so often in such a negative way. And really, I think it's a misunderstanding because I feel like adulthood, there's so many opportunities and so much that awaits you. And if it's only perceived in a negative light, then it's really a drag on it and becomes something you don't want to do. And it's like, no, 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 this has, I mean, this is incredible. Look at all of life that's out there. And so we really want to encourage the reader in what healthy adulthood and the opportunities that exist for them. I'm so glad you said that because I say it all the time too. I think number one, our young people get a bad rap because I think they're capable and they're engaged and they want to make a difference in the world. The ones I'm crossing paths with, Mm -hmm. that's so true of. I think you're right. Self-awareness is so huge. And I think some of that just comes with time, right? As you get older and you literally learn how to be more self-aware. But I love that you included that in the book because I think that's something that we can encourage our kids, no matter what age they are, um, to be focusing on. So that's that's really good. Um, but to your point around as we grow older and learning more about ourselves, I know a lot of folks that are uh, ahead of me in life and it's they they got older, but they didn't grow up along that journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. They they didn't, maybe the, the people were not around them in life to, to showcase to them how to become more self-aware. But sometimes adulting can feel like this thing that you're just on this ride of instead of something that you proactively have an opportunity to make an impact and change the trajectory of that. But I know a lot of older folks that never grew up along that journey and have the emotional maturity of somebody much younger. I know a lot of them too. (laughs) I won't name them on the podcast. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Yeah, I I think that's very true. 
And you're right. A lot of it does come from having a mentor, a role Mm -hmm. model, um, somebody in your life. I mean, that I talk a lot about this on the podcast and, and a guest said this recently, the biggest difference in his life were people who believed in him hmm. and and nurtured him and and shepherded him when he was younger and i think that's so important so having a guide like this i call the book a guide but or books a guide um is helpful for maybe whoever it is to your point whether it's a you know grandparent an aunt a family yeah. friend a parent whoever it is to kind of have that roadmap to help young people figure out the stuff they need to figure out to be successful because sure. I've done a mul- multiple episodes on failure to launch and mm-hmm. ki- kids who leave the house and either they go to college or go out in the world and they're, they end up back at home because they're just not ready. The role of the parent is so critical. I mean, that, that really is the foundational element of so much of this adulting, but when it comes to the mentorship of that person that's trying to launch, the ability to get outside of the family unit will be very vital to that, um, regardless of the age. So the earlier in life that you can begin to integrate in outside people into your your child or maybe teenager, early adult's life, um, the better, because we all know that oftentimes we just need somebody other than mom or dad to say it for it to be true. Yeah. Pete and I talk a ton about mentorship and mentoring because Uh, That has been such a relevant piece for both of us all along our journey. And the more we talk about a constellation of mentors, so it's not just one person that you're trying to suck the life out of and learn everything from, but the the more people that you can have in your life that are cheering you on and engaging you and caring for you and helping you to grow, you're really increasing your, your chances of success as a result of that. But if you're just banking on mom or dad or both, to be the only mentor, the only positive voice in that life, it's just a lot more challenging. Uh, but again, don't want to underestimate just the incredible value of the parents. And that's really where this book stemmed from was a lot of our students weren't seeing this at home. And that's the why behind it. But still getting other folks on the outside to speak into this person's life is so crucial. I love that phrase, the, a constellation of mentors. I'm going to quote you on that. I love <laughs> it um, because I I completely agree with that. I mean, listen, my my kids don't want to hear it from me. I don't know anything. You know, gosh, I have a, a podcast on parenting and they don't listen to it. And not that they should, but um, <laughs> what do I know? Except that I talk to all the experts. Um, but I think I think you're right. I mean, there there's clearly a role for parents, mm-hmm. obviously. Oh, of course. Um, but but they aren't the be all end all, and there's different perspectives and parents sometimes have, but sometimes they have motives that can be toxic to their kids, right? So if we have dream air quotes, dreams for our kids, or we have a plan in mind for them and we get in the way of where they're really going, really want to go and what they should be doing, that can be a problem. So sometimes having those outside influences Mm -hmm. can help steer them in a direction where they want to go. How do you go about teaching principles and values and filters to look at life without just directing them towards where you think they need to be at? And I think that's really a big piece of this is, hey, we want to give some ideas and some suggestions on what successful adulthood looks like, but we're not going to say like, this is the only way to be a successful adult. Right, right, right. Ugh, 
I love this stuff. This is so good. Such, it seems common sense, but easier said than done, I think, especially where parents are concerned. Um, So what else can they expect from the book? I mean, are there conversation starters, actionable steps for them? What's going to help them? So both books are written very tactically. So Pete and I use stories from our personal lives, from the students' lives that we, we work with. And so it's all the chapters are very short. I mean, within about 10 pages. So it reads quickly. The topics move fast. No point is belabored. And throughout that, you will have very actionable components to each of these things. So I, I mentioned that each book is a standalone unit, but even within that, each section stands alone. So, hey, if you don't really need to learn about how to move out of it into an apartment, skip that. Go to what is basic budgeting look like and just talk through that piece. And so the books both really are able to be engaged with from each individual section and speaks well to the user of the book. And it's a great resource. It's a great guide to go back to. Um, So this is a book that'll be much more reference style over the years than, hey, let's crank through this novel or this fictional piece. Yeah. So you can kind of jump around. Like if there's a particular topic, you can just go to that topic. Absolutely. No matter what chapter it's in and and that. Yes. Um, And then around the mental health components. So I realized that I am a man that sells chicken. And so it's like, okay, what is he going to have to say about this? Um, And so Pete and I both realized our inadequacies around this, but we felt like the book would not be complete if we didn't have a chance to speak to this because we have seen such a rapid rise in the people that we work with in these areas, Um, regardless of whether it's anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts, all of these things are becoming much more apparent. And so we engaged a team of five counselors and therapists that are all professionals and licensed. And they were really the ones that gave us the content that we were able to then capture package in a way that reads easily and well. And so even if this isn't something that directly applies to the reader, we also have a section in each of these chapters around how to help a friend in need. Because all of these things, if you're struggling with it, it's a huge burden. But what happens in life when somebody else that you're close to is struggling with something, you, you want to be able to help and care for them. But sometimes it can be awkward, like, what do I say or what do I not say? And so we address some of those elements as well in book two. So much value in these books. Again, you know, it's not the list of 100 things, you know, your kid needs to learn to fry an egg. It's, you know, stuff, real stuff for real life. So I love this. I, I could go on and on and on because that's what I do, but I want to be respectful of your time. I do have one more question I want to ask you. So if you could go back and give yourself, your high school self, one piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh, great question. Um, Don't fear failure. Um, Good one. So we talk about how to fail well in the second book. And I would say as I, now looking back 15 or 20 years, each time that I had a perceived failure in life, I mean, we, we all know this as we we grow up, um, the doors that that would ultimately open up and lead to and the life that you have now. And um, for me, I, I wouldn't trade that. In the moment, though, the failure felt monumental. And I was very fearful of those failures in life. And looking back, um, what a blessing they all were. Right. It didn't feel that way at the time, but now you of look course. back. Same. I agree. I I keep 
trying to instill that in my kids and all young people that I speak to. If you're not failing, you're not learning. Sure. So I love that advice. That's great advice. No, thank you. So this has been fantastic. Uh, Listeners, buy this book. Buy these books. (laughs) I'm buying them. I can't wait to read them and share them with my kids. Um, So I'm going to put the links to the books. And what else? where else can people find you? So (laughs) I don't know if you want to divulge this, but (laughs) which Chick-fil-A is yours? Because if I'm ever – are you near 95? If I'm ever on the road, can I stop by your Chick-fil-A? I am in Yorktown, Virginia. So there's one Chick-fil-A restaurant out there, and that that's me, but it's in the greater Hampton Roads or Tidewater area in Virginia. Okay. Um, but yes, very easy to find. You'll see me wandering around there um, okay. throughout the day. I'm pretty easy to locate. Okay. So people in the Virginia area, go over there and buy some chicken. And uh, I'll Amen. do that. I'll do that <laughs> if I'm in the area too. Anywhere else, social media, email address, anything you want to share? Websites, joshburnett.com, but really the best place to find any book, it seems like these days is on Amazon and that'll get it to you the fastest for sure. But we're at all the major retailers online. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh my goodness. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Now I'm really hungry for a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a sweet tea. Seriously though, I took away so much great wisdom from this conversation with Josh He sounds like an incredible boss, and his books are just what our young people need. Wouldn't it be amazing if our teens could all have a first boss just like Josh? I really believe that teens should hold at least one job if their schedule will allow it, especially one where they have to deal with the public. I think it's awesome that the employees at Josh's business are getting so much more than the typical workplace training. I just ordered one of each of Josh's Adulting 101 books. I can't wait to read them, and I think they will make fantastic gifts for upcoming graduates. Thanks so much for tuning in today. As always, I'm grateful that you're listening, and I'd sure appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 91, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily... That's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately 7 minutes.